Grayskull of Power <laughs> the Buy. And, uh, and I was like, yes! <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Aloha! And from music video sins, Barrett Share. Hello, friends! Yes. Oh, good. To- today we have an interesting topic. <laughs> uh-huh. We're going to be talking about unnecessary sequels we'd like to have made. Oh, God, it's so unnecessary! Where the hell would you do that? What?! Come on, are you kidding me?! What the hell is wrong with you people?! That doesn't make sense. Yeah, not unnecessary yeah. sequels that exist. Yes, there are a lot of those. Well, yeah, like because then the whole episode would be about Miss Congeniality too. <laughs> it would. Armed and fabulous. That's right. I mean, but the crux of why we decided to do this topic is all the unnecessary sequels and remakes, right. right? Like I just saw today on Twitter, apparently there's a whole Mamma Mia sequel with Cher in it. I never even heard about that, but there's a trailer <laughs> out today. Mm. Oh, great. Mamma Mia would be a movie that doesn't need a sequel just like my big fat greek wedding let's wait 15 years and do a sequel everyone's gonna love it all over again and so the idea is in my mind basically anything can get remade at this point anyway anything can get a sequel they've done three fucking sequels to wet hot american summer or whatever i guess two series sequels or what have you so what would we like to see if we you know had all that we were the puppet masters out in hollywood and we're like yes let's fast track this sequel this (laughs) unnecessary sequel that's right um and i think we could probably go four hours if we if we weren't careful totally i would say so yeah it was a very fun uh topic to sort of plan for and prep for why do they screw up sequels so much? What is it just that it's not it's not a part of the the idea in the beginning and it's just tacked on to make more money because we we just released the Home Alone 2 well, that's uh, a video today. Example. And I remember loving that movie. It came out in 1992, so I was I was young. I remember it was just it was fun to watch. It was in New York. I had never been to New York. It was uh, okay, maybe a little same beats, but but generally like it was a new thing. And when I went back and watched it for sin purposes, I was like, this is the exact same fucking movie. It is. Just 20 minutes longer and 20% more violent. Yeah, I think it's a combination of lazy creative, mm-hmm. you know, that classic, what, let's, what did they like from the first one? Let's mm-hmm. just do all that again. Yeah. Um, they overslept again. It's amazing. I mean, they made, what, two more of these with other actors? Yeah. They made uh, three. I don't know if they made anything beyond that. They, All right. they did a four, and I can't remember. Uh, Scarlett Johansson was in one of them. I think she was in the third one. Yeah. Um. I, I think the problem comes down to self-awareness at, at a certain point. When you make that first one, you don't have any of that... Uh, success and people telling you how good it is and all that it's like you know that was its own original creation so you built you you make a movie like that and it's like okay that was great and then you go through all the you know the the interviews and the talking about it and so on and so forth and then you make your sequel and then you're like well what made that first one work and that's what you i think either subconsciously do when you write a sequel or it's it's it is a conscious thing sometimes i think home alone 2 was very conscious of making it i mean sometimes it just looks too 
to the same to be subconscious yeah yeah um i mean they literally we did it again yeah yeah and, and then I, they come out and they're like oh to the camera yeah so I, I think a lot of times you're not making anything original you're building off something that was original and all that knowledge seeps into you know whatever at the same time i don't know how you make something wholly original like if you decide let's forget that first one you right. know like, how do you do it? Like, you'd have to make it a completely different thing with different characters, maybe? Or Well, know. yeah, that's the thing with Home Alone 2. Like, uh, one of the jokes uh, that Jonathan wrote was where John Luffitz and Dana Carvey are available to do that. Why do they have to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why do they have to do Harry and Marv in New York? I mean, it's more preposterous than, you know, John McClane continuing to get. Like, there's even a, <laughs> Die Hard 2 tries to write it out, like, how can the same shit keep happening to the yeah. same guy or something like that? Yeah. It's a cute moment, yeah. but it, that's pretty preposterous. That, that Home Alone 2 is even more preposterous. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of something more preposterous than that, and I spent about five minutes today pondering a, a Martian sequel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like 20 years later, uh, somehow Watney has to go up again, and they leave him behind again. Uh, yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, I got to do all this shit all over again. <laughs> uh, see, that would be pretty stupid, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But- Somehow, I believe if they made that movie, it would make money. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. People don't really care. As, as a mass, we don't really care about preposterous. No. Anyway. No. But we're going to do some preposterous here. Yeah, yeah but it'll be fun preposterous. Yeah. yeah, we got some crazy-ass sequels coming up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, listeners to this podcast know that I love me some Zero Effect. Yeah. <laughs> I may be the only person in the world that loves Zero Effect, <laughs> and that's a shame because Zero Effect is a masterpiece, and you guys need to watch it. Yes. Um, anyway, there's there was a time when they were going to make a Zero Effect TV show. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was going to have Alan Cumming as Daryl Zero. Nice. Uh, then that, that fell through for whatever reason. I mean, maybe it just didn't have the same kind of magic or whatever, but I don't know. I would have watched that mm -hmm. show. I mean, Alan Cumming is great. So yeah, I would have I I enjoyed it. But uh, obviously, Zero Effect back in 1998, I think even for $1998, made a paltry sum. It yeah. probably it, it's probably made like two million dollars or something like that. It wasn't much. Mm. Nobody saw it, <laughs> and nobody talks about it today except me. Um, but I want to make a zero effect too, and I want people to have the public consciousness of this movie now. I want them. <laughs> I want a sequel to be made so that everybody realizes that the first one was. So this is to to bolster the original. Essentially, is Indeed. the reason for this. Indeed. <laughs> Nice. Um, but you would make a new, you would make a new quirky comedy. I want to bring, I want to bring Jake Kasdan back to mm -hmm. do this one. Um, I'm going to bring Bill Pullman back to play Daryl Zero, but he will have either an assistant like he had last time, which is Ben Stiller. Yep. He can either get Ben Stiller back. He would have to be divorced at this point because mm -hmm. the whole thing about Zero Effect was that he, his girlfriend didn't like that he was working with this guy and that it was taking too much time away from her. So he would have to be divorced to be back with him, or he'd have to be doing it secretly, which uh, is another yeah. thing that's fun. Mm -hmm. But if you can't get Ben Stiller, get Ryan Gosling. Oh, mm, get nice. Somebody, get, some, get, a, get a name in there that's going to be like, oh, okay, I'll watch this or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like a Ben Stiller and Bill Pullman, you know, they, they're not enough. <laughs> they're just not enough. <laughs> but no, uh, you get somebody like Gosling, who's maybe the next Daryl Zero, that he's like sort of uh you know taken under his wing and saying here's how you do the whole first movie has like all these fun little narration moments 
where Pullman or is talking about like all the different things that you have to do to be him. It's like I can't I can't uh, you know stress enough the importance of great research. Yeah, and he goes through that whole thing, and it's like uh, when you, and here's some tips on when you're looking for something. He's like like don't be looking for anything specific. He's because of all the things in the world, you're looking for one of them. Right. But he's like, he's like, it, what the best thing to do is to to be looking for anything at all. Because yeah. of all the things in the world, you're bound to find one of them. <laughs> 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 and so he's essentially Sherlock Holmes. I, I, he is. I, I, this is Sherlock Holmes straight up. Yeah, yeah. Like everything, the the relationship between him and Stiller, just like you know Watson and everything um and and yeah i mean even the whole like he's getting married and the girl doesn't right. want him to you know all that's very sherlock holmes uh i think these the this type of thing is more interesting than sherlock holmes though it's uh because i don't know they they've they made his character so like you know lonely and yeah. and, and and uh but he's you you can see him like just constantly trying to get better with what he's doing and like all of his like way his method of solving this case in the first one is just it's so satisfying mm -hmm. it's so great and so yeah it wouldn't i don't think it would be too much of a stretch to come up with another kind of case and they even talk about prior cases and zero effect like they could even do a prequel if you wanted to mm -hmm. you know the one is like like the one the the case of the robber who made way 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 too many mistakes is what they called one of them you know you, <laughs> you could you could go and, and do that if you wanted to but um but yeah, I, I I don't know what kind of mystery, but I I would put Robert Downey Jr. as the guy who basically plays the Ryan O'Neill character in this. Oh, one. nice! He's the client this time. He's the one who uh, has something that's stolen, or or he has a you know it, the first movie's mainly about blackmail and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Uh, but I, I have Robert Downey Jr. because hey, you have some uh, some symmetry there with Got a Sherlock, little Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and uh, is he going to do some bare knuckle boxing in of this? Of course one? he is. Yeah, why not? Um, well, the, the it, one of the most insane images of Zero Effect is when Bill Pullman's talking to Ben Stiller in his kitchen, and he opens up a cabinet, and pulls out this like giant bag of pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like like a you know it's huge it's just like um uh this stuff like that in that movie is, is great i'd love to see kim dickens come back but if you watch the first one you know that kim dickens probably can't come back in this one so somebody like rebecca pigeon who's in state in state in maine would go. be oh, a good nice. romantic foil for him in this one uh so that's what i would like to see and, and you I would totally watch and that. If you don't, you don't want to. If you don't want to call it Zero Effect, you want to re rebrand it as something else, and and just call it the sequel. You know, the secret sequel, and be able to make the sequel. Do it. What we've seen lately is that there's been a dearth of like really good mysteries mm -hmm. recently, right? Like it's it, like the most unnecessary, even more so than a Transformers sequel, is the Murder on the Orient Express movie that just came out, mm -hmm. which is really good. It's like it's got great performances. It's got a great mystery. It's but why does it need to be made? Yeah. There's a million mysteries out there. There's a million Agatha Christie mysteries that people don't know about. Why did you make this one? You know, yeah. and uh, but yeah, if you could just come up with a good idea, a good mystery, a satisfying thing, good you know performances, I would totally watch that, man. Yeah, Murder on the Orient Express is one of those movies that why why it feels so unnecessary is that if you know the story going in mm -hmm. 
you've lost 50% of the reason to go watch it. Exactly. And the reason why I went to watch it was that, first off, it looked beautiful and gorgeous and all that, but I thought there was a chance, a slight chance, he would change it enough to be worthwhile if you didn't know Mm -hmm. what happens at the end. And no, he didn't. (laughs) No, he did not. Mm -hmm. You know, I had two distinctly different paths as Uh I was prepping for this topic. Because... You know, I'm I'm one of those people that's always rolling my eyes at all these sequels and comebacks, and like they obviously are working for some people. That Fuller House is Netflix's <laughs> most watched show, and Will and Grace is back. And is that doing well? Fuller House is doing well. Yeah, they've like ordered three seasons already. Yeah, Fuck. I know. Um, I know a couple of people who watch it yeah. religiously, and it just feels like. Like, I started out just trying to think of the most preposterous-sounding sequels. Like, that would make me go, why would you make a sequel? Like, October Sky 2. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, this is where sort of my mind was. So, so some of these I, I'm intentionally making as cheesy and terrible and repetitious as possible. <laughs> One such uh, concept is Jerry Maguire 2. Mm-hmm. All right. And now Jerry's in his mid to late 50s. Mm-hmm. And he is become that old man that inspires him in the beginning of the first movie he's about to retire his son stepson ray is all grown up and is a hot shot sports agent at the firm that jerry mcguire started mm-hmm. but has been too good at his job to pay attention to love mm-hmm. okay and so those around him jerry mcguire renee zellweger the the divorced sister the band together basically to try and you know teach him that life is about more than just great success in business it's mm-hmm. about love throw a cuba gooding in there somewhere mm-hmm. like everything that i actually would not want to do is sort of how <laughs> I'm, I'm pitching this um <clears throat> and you just get the gang back together and see what happens it feels like kind of now i haven't seen the wet hot american summer stuff but it, when it, when it was announced it felt like kind of that's just all they really did yeah let's just get everybody back and people like these characters, and we'll just have hijinks. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you could do the same thing with a lot of different movies. Um, like, I almost pitched you uh, Wonder Boys, too. <laughs> because I think that what makes that movie good is not the plot as much as it's just the quirky cast of characters interacting with each other. Yeah. Um, and so I would watch Wonder Boys, too. Mm-hmm. Everybody's 15 years older, and where are they at now? There's no purpose for it. There's no point in it. It would probably be bad. They'd try and hit too many of the same beats again. Anyway, so that was my first with Jerry Maguire, too. So would Jay Moore be working for Ray now? You could throw Jay Moore in there somewhere. I'd probably have him doing like an even shittier job. Like, like he's like a talking head on... ESPN three or something. <laughs> that would be perfect. Um, Former agent. Well, definitely like like Kush should be like a, a, <laughs> yeah, an analyst. Yeah. <laughs> like he like he dodged a bullet not being able to sign that guy. Like you know he's ended up like flaming out after a year. Or That'd something be awesome. Like that. Yeah, he's like uh, Chris Sims now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't think Cameron Crowe's doing anything. You know. That's probably my favorite of his movies, maybe almost famous. Get, get that gang back together. Yeah. What has he been doing since uh, he did roadies? He did that roadies thing. After Aloha. Aloha. Yeah. Aloha. Boy, did you ever see hard, Aloha? I, I did, did not. It's a hard watch. You saw it? Ooh. It's just. Did you ever see Elizabeth Town? Yes. How do you have. Uh, they, uh, it was you have appealing actors and a, and a good director like that, and then just completely 
terribly miss on something. Yeah, and it's like about a military, like the main crux of the thing is like military spending. Yeah. Like the love, <laughs> the love falls apart because he does some military thing that's against her values or something. <laughs> and she's like a native Hawaiian, even though she's Emma Stone. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it makes perfect uh, sense. <clears throat> yeah, not, not a great movie. I think, you know, you know, basically I feel like 25% of Hollywood is just knocking on doors going, want to get the gang back together? Yeah. <laughs> right? So sooner or later, someone's going to knock on Cameron Crowe's door with that question. Now, if you have a good cast, like, I th- I liked the the series Wet Hot American Summer. Mm-hmm. Did you like that? Yeah, the uh, the first one that they made, mm-hmm. which was the prequel one, was, yeah, yeah, was yeah, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. The one that was the sequel, I had problems with, and they, and they, they tried to turn the problems into a joke because they realized that were they were problems. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this. No, I haven't seen it. This is the fifteen years later, or ten years later, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, the the funniest thing about the sequel uh, one is that like in the original movie they said let's come back here in ten years, yeah. and then they and then it's like uh, let's be here at ten o'clock or something, and and Michael Ian Black's like. Like I'll have something to I'll have something to do at ten o'clock or whatever, which is like ten, ten years down the road. He's already got that. But what's so funny about the uh, the sequel one was is that they've introduced new characters, and they make it seem like they were there all along. So like they show the original wet hot american summer when they're saying let's be back here in 10 years or whatever and then they'll cut away to these three other characters and they're like yeah sounds like a good idea <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah the, the 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 whole thing is like some is is some crazy it's like just a really crazy plot and it's fine it's, it's totally fine but by the time at the end of it where they start explaining things where people are like, what about this and what about that? They're like, you know, eh, you know just, <laughs> just, don't worry about it, you know. Um, and, and it's I don't know, it, it comes off a little unsatisfying when they when they say that because, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's it literally is getting the gang back. Together. Yeah, yeah. But um, um, all right. So I've got a sequel, a prequel and a reboot. You got three. I got three. Well, I got a couple mm. others too. I didn't know I was supposed to spit them all. I think we could you. we could go for for three, okay. three rounds. So you yeah. have you have a what now? I have a sequel, a prequel, and a reboot. They all walk into a bar. They all walk <laughs> into a bar, <laughs> and the Pope says, "Yes." Yeah. <laughs> My sequel came after watching Lolita, mm-hmm. um, because you guys got me the Kubrick set mm-hmm. and so i started with lolita and i'm gonna work my way through uh all those those things lolita is a really interesting movie mm-hmm. obviously the content is strange well and even stranger because it's made in the early 60s so mm-hmm. they couldn't really go super racy but it's still really controversial which almost makes it worse yeah yeah it, like the, you think about like the implications of this. She's 12 years old yeah. when he first meets her. And then they start, quote, dating when she's 14. Right. right. Um, and uh, great performances, by the way. This is a movie that you should totally watch again uh, if you haven't, uh, or, or watch if you haven't seen it already. Peter Sellers, as good as he Peter is, Sellers is amazing in, in Dr. Strangelove, I think he's even better here. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's unbelievable. But he's got a relationship with this girl, mm-hmm. too. So there's a lot to unpack about that movie. It's a very, very good movie, though. So at the end of it, she is 17, mm-hmm. she's married, and she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. What my idea is, Lolita 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay? So she's married and everything. And so she has the kid when she's 17. 12 years later, 
Her kid is the her daughter. We'll say it's a daughter is the same age she was when Humbert started hitting on. Mm-hmm. She's twenty nine. So because of that, maybe her husband or somebody has started, you know, recognizing that this girl is is beautiful and maybe wants to to hit on her or something mm. like that. Something in Lolita snaps mm. and she kills the husband. Mm. They go on to a murderous crime spree, her and her daughter. Whoa. <laughs> Thelma and Louise style. Just going to different towns. Turn there. Oh yeah. Going to different towns and like figure finding themselves in situations where men are being abusive or being sexual uh, predators or things like that. And they kill these motherfuckers. Mm. And they go from town to town. They start getting a reputation. That sounds very Tarantino-esque. Exactly. People are contacting them. They're saying, you know, we really want to to you to take care of this. It's part death wish. It's part natural born killer. It's part, <laughs> it's part like Thelma and Louise. And at the end of it, uh, it Lo- cuts to Bruce Willis in a diner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at the end of it, uh, Lolita's daughter is too young to really technically be involved in this, where mm. where if, if the cops find them out, they're not going to suspect her. They're going to su- suspect Lolita. Lolita fakes her own death, and her daughter goes to live with you know a friend's parents or something like that, leave a normal life. She retires because she's gotten a lot of money. She's robbed these guys, too. She retires to some t- tropical location, and the last shot is of her finally being at peace, where she's on her own. She doesn't need a man. She does. She's still youthful, and she can finally relax and just kind of let the past go. It's That's in- Lolita too. You know, it's interesting. Like your sequel is sounds more like a sequel to the actual remake they made of like yeah like because the, the the first Lolita the Kubrick Lolita is like a comedy yeah it's there's got, a lot of comedic got, elements it's yeah. got drama obviously and whatever and is in that movie like two hours and 20 minutes long or yeah. something like that yeah. it's long mm-hmm. for its for its uh so so it's this sequel seems a little bit off center now they made the one for Showtime I believe was Dominique Swain played Lolita yep. Jeremy Irons was Humbert in that one mm-hmm. Jeremy's Irons Jeremy's right. Irons uh, and that one was that was a little bit more of a sensitive look at it even though it was also more it was a little racier because mm-hmm. it you know came out uh, in a more accepting they that? sexualized her a lot more they did one. yeah she was pretty young when they shot it too mm-hmm. but i remember reading articles about her parents being on set and they went to great lengths to make sure that she was as protected as possible mm-hmm. i've seen that version and not the kubrick one uh, and i remember it being pretty damn creepy mm-hmm. yeah now if hollywood actually made a lolita 2 they would start with your script mm-hmm. up until about page 10 and the leader at 29 would start hitting on some 12-year-old boy next door. Oh, they just yeah. gender swap the same story. Yeah, I could see that. Mm. I'm, you know what's weird is, have you seen uh, Call Me By Your Name? Mm-mm. So the, you know what I'm talking about, though. Mm. The the one with uh, Army Hammer, and it takes place oh. in like the Italian countryside, and he falls in love with this 17-year-old boy, and it's this this romance, and it's getting rave reviews. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves this. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Like this is maybe the worst time for this movie to come out, but nobody's really talking about it having any controversy. That's because, well, I think in general America is more touchy about sex stuff anyway. But mm-hmm. also, age of consent is lower in most of Europe yeah. than it is here. So I don't think, in the context of the film, that age is as big a deal as the tabooness of 
because I think it's a period piece too, mm-hmm. right? So it's the t- it's the tabooness in in the culture they they're in about their homosexuality more than like the age difference. Now, if he was a ten year old boy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, don't make that movie. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, now I don't know if this was an Italian production or. You know. I'm, I'm sure it's fine, and I'm sure it's a wonderful movie. Yeah, it's just bad timing. I, yeah, it just seems like there should be more upheaval in this, and it, it's probably a good thing that there's not mm-hmm. because the way they presented it is that the young boy is the aggressor, and you know, Army Hammer's just kind of along for the ride. But yeah. Mm. it's just whatever Mm -hmm. but anyway uh even in the context i was really interested to see how lolita would play to me in the current age i'm gonna be interested to see how clockwork orange on a rewatch uh does too uh but it's it's still just an amazing movie with amazing camera work and all that stuff and you can see the 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 fully formed vision of kubrick early in his career Mm -hmm. you can see shots there are shots in that movie that I saw in Eyes Wide Shut, mm-hmm. like transitions, uh, where characters are. It was really, really cool to watch it. That's yeah. interesting. I yeah. bet you'll have a lot of that if you go through them all yeah. in succession pretty quick. Yeah. Lolita 2. <laughs> yeah. I you think it would an- be interesting to watch. No, you got another one? Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, Rounders 2. Now, yes, ah. yes, they've been talking about a rounders two for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to happen, I don't think. Is it not? I don't it's think it's so. Brian Koppelman that that yeah, wrote Brian it, right? Koppelman uh, with his uh, his buddy. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but but they're also behind Billions. Brian, oh, yeah. Brian Dunkelman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, this guy's Brian Koppelman. He's got his own podcast. Uh, um, that's uh, the called the Moment. It's yep. really good, but um, but yeah, Brian Koppelman. Uh, now rounders two is interesting because at the end of the, uh, first rounders, Damon is about to go and play the world series of poker. And, you know, the whole movie is basically saying like, you know, somebody like him who can read people so well and everything has a really good chance of winning the world series of poker because quote unquote, the same three people are at the final table every year, which is not true. But yeah. like back then when there was less people entering, right. yes, that happened. If there's 300 people, then yeah, maybe. Yeah, like your your people who spend all their waking days and nights <laughs> playing poker are going to be at the final table a lot of yeah. time. Now with the, you know, thousands of people who enter, it's like a, it's a lottery almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, so that's it's, that's an interesting thing to me because this is before the poker boom. This is before Chris Moneymaker came in and won the World Series of Poker, and everybody started wanting to you know enter to maybe just possibly win because they saw this guy win, and that was back in two thousand three. Mm-hmm. So there's a five year period here where like Mikey McDermott could be cleaning up. Yeah. Um. So. I, maybe we say he cleans up for a while, but then the poker boom comes in. And he realizes that you know, the reading people and everything is not the only thing, which right. is the, with the first movie. The game's just gotten too commercial for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first movie makes it sound like all you have to do is read people and it does, you, the luck never comes into play. Like, yeah, he's like, I, I don't even need cards. Or, you know, yeah, I'll just read you blind. Like like as if he like he's never had that that hand where he has aces in his hand and somebody has jack seven and decides to call it call it all off and somehow beat him that's never happened before (laughs) um so 
so like so i think at some point he's got to get disenfranchised maybe even he doesn't have that run that i'm talking about maybe worm fucks him over again because edward norton is probably one of the most disgusting characters ever put into into a movie he's hideous so bad like like he cannot help himself being a terrible person and uh and so like there's a lot of stuff that in from the first movie that could dangle and for like he even like takes all takes those kgb guys for all those about all that money so who who knows who's to say that they don't say mikey you better pay up because this guy's gonna get it blah 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 so maybe he doesn't ever make it to the world series of poker maybe again he's got and then you're gonna have to give a 20-year gap here Mm -hmm. there's a 20-year gap and what's happened to poker now is there's a lot of math nerds who are playing poker and they they go by the math and there's a lot of complicated math out there mm-hmm. on poker and everything what decision to make at what certain point they got that all down essentially so basically playing poker is mechanical but maybe you put somebody like him who's like still watching after all these years and he's the he's discovered these little micro tells and whatever. And he's like, I can, I can take on these guys or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you do it as a movie, because really honestly, just being able to read people isn't going to get you very far. Um, But if we're going to make a movie, him reading and being able to find those tiny little things or whatever, and maybe learning something about the new way poker is being played at the same time. And I would like, in the poker action scenes for at least three or four times for a big, huge bluff to happen where he wins. <laughs> I would like to see a part where he calls a whole big, huge bet with Jack high and no pair and no, <laughs> no straight or flush or anything on the board. And he wins that, that hand. I want to see like real poker being played. <laughs> you can still put in your straight flush over quad aces <laughs> if you want to, but I want to see some real poker being played. I don't want this casino royale bullshit <laughs> where like every hand that, that make that determines the entire fate of the characters is some like incredible like bullshit that never happens. Here's the part where Jeremy talks about Friends, the TV show again. Because <laughs> there's an episode in either the first or second season where the guys are talking about how much they wanted poker last night, and the girls are like, "You never play poker with us. Why?" And they're like, "You suck at it. You'd be terrible. And we don't want to just take your money." And the girls are like, "No, teach us." And basically the course of like a day, they teach them poker and they're playing poker. And by the end of that hand, Rachel gets a full house mm-hmm. and Ross lets her win. And he's bluffing his own defeat because he's trying to be nice and she needs money. Mm-hmm. But he had a straight flush or something, <laughs> something that would have beaten that. <laughs> yeah. In one hand, those two. Of course. That's the kind of thing you need to avoid in this Rounders remake. Oh, my God. Or sequel. Yeah. Like I said, you can still put that in there because that stuff does happen. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't happen with the frequency that movies will have you have you believe. Casino Royale's bullshit, like four way pot where like two guys have full houses. Another guy's got the nut flush and then Bond has the straight flush. Right. That bullshit that never happens and i don't even know how they got to that point because he's like holding seven and a five right yeah yeah and it's like like i guess everybody just limped in and then like the the flop came and bond's like i'm just gonna go for it i'm gonna i'm gonna hit that straight flush god damn it um so the good thing about rounders the original it did have to that point 
probably the best poker scenes, mm-hmm. like actual poker scenes. Yeah. Of course, the stuff with Teddy KGB at the end is kind of crazy, but yeah, it there's... also could happen. There was a scene where he where he bluffed him off earlier on. Mm-hmm. So there was some good like actual poker being played. Yeah. The, the the rounders, most of the hands that you see though are ridiculous. Yeah, the, yeah. the one, the one where he where Mikey loses all his money, where he's like, <laughs> you know, he's got nines full of aces and KGB just happens to have aces full of nines. Yep. And and like you know, and, and Mikey does this whole thing where he's like, I got outplayed. Like, there is not one <laughs> person on earth who would have folded. There's not one. I don't care. Yeah. Like, there's not any. Everybody's losing their money on that. Sorry. <laughs> that's what happens. Um, and uh, and so, like, all the other ones, you don't really get to see how they got to these certain points and everything. Uh, you don't need to. I don't, I guess. You don't really need to know every single, like, aspect of the hand. You got to tell a story here and you got to get to the to the main parts. But, yeah, I'd like to just see some real poker being played for once. And, yeah, the first rounders has some pretty good, pretty good poker. Yeah, relatively to. Uh, especially for 1998. This is before everybody's, like, really, really gets interested in it and everything. But um, I think that movie would make money. Yeah, I think so. Rounders, too. too. I think would make more than rounders did. Yeah, the first round yeah, didn't do, do anything, nothing. right? No, I saw it. Yeah, but yeah. I think the three of us might have been the only ones that did. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I saw it in Montreal. I was in Montreal. Interesting. Time. Yeah, uh, and uh, and I remember watching it and going, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I had no idea how he won. Like he said, I flopped the nut straight, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Uh, I'm glad he he won something completely different. I'm glad he won. (laughs) He beat him. Nice. Yay. Good going. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Shawshank Redemption 2. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Because what would you do? It's just them working on a boat on the beach for two hours. Actually, I would watch the shit out of it. Well, then you'd have they came after them and they pulled them back into jail. You could also do that. It's like, you know, Morgan Freeman, you know, oh, you violated your parole. and, And Tim Robbins. Fuck, man, I can't begin to tell you how many laws you broke. <laughs> you also could do like a waiting for Godot type of thing where they're just talking the whole time. No, I'll tell you, I watch the shit out of like, uh, you know, my dinner with Andre with those two characters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Anyway, uh, I am going to do a prison escape related unnecessary sequel, and that's Out of Sight 2. Mm. Oh, man. Now, part of the reason I like this is that Out of Sight very perfectly teases uh, that the prison escapes and hijinks will go on for George Clooney's character. Mm-hmm. Hell, she fucking waits a day so that he's in a van with samuel jackson's character whose nickname is is like flight or all is flight from whatever uh and uh, has broken out of leavenworth like several times broken out of a bunch of other prisons so the movie is winking at you saying there are other adventures out here where he's going to get out of prison and she's probably going to be around to try and arrest him uh and that's probably where their love affair will will just hover around for the rest of their lives. Maybe they probably do it once every time he gets out of jail and then she'll put the shackles on him. <laughs> mm-hmm. So flag, let's flash ahead. This this movie was 98. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yeah. Let's, so let's flash ahead 20 years to today. And whatever has happened between then and now, probably a couple of escapes. But we, we cut straight to Samuel L. Jackson and Bing Rames breaking George Clooney out of jail, just like the first one opens. Mm-hmm. Everybody's older. They've got some heist planned. You throw Steve Zahn in there somewhere. Um, and Jennifer Lopez is still working. Maybe she's on a desk now, but for this one, she gets back out in the field to mm-hmm. go after her man. Uh, 
I just like that movie so much and the vibe and you know Soderbergh made three oceans movies. He can he can totally do that. I mean, come on, buddy. Again, it's another guy that's not like overworking himself right. these days. Give me another out of sight too. Well, that's a case of where somebody who who became super famous as a director after the fact, after the first yep. movie. And he would be able to sell an out of sight too at this point. Yeah. Uh like even though that movie, I, I think it's developed a bit of a cult following now. I mean, mm-hmm. it has it has a pretty good following at this point. But I think you could you could make the part two, and people would be sold on Clooney, Soderbergh, and and even Jennifer Lopez. I don't know. Jennifer Lopez has had an interesting career. She has. sure has after after the after Out of Sight because you know, and I I thought she was going to be one of like a, a like one of our big movie stars after Selena and that. And then she became a big, huge pop star. Mm-hmm. And the movies she chose after that were all like stuff like Enough. And yeah. The Wedding Planner. The Wedding Planner. And they were Made not in Manhattan. Any, yeah. Made in Manhattan. Isn't there one with like a uh, stepmom monster? Step monster? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> with Jane Fonda. Yeah, yeah. It's Jane Fonda. I've so, seen that. So, the, you know, her choices after that were like either she just wanted to just do something breezy and whatever no. which is fine for i mean if that's what this you want to do in the time when she's dating puff daddy and ben affleck yep mm-hmm. so you know maybe choices across the board weren't being made very well i don't think i don't think <laughs> either she wasn't given movies to challenge her or she just didn't want those movies yeah so who knows what the real story is there but have you ever seen geely yeah, yeah i have i haven't seen that is, is it bad it's pretty bad yeah it's bad it's not nearly as bad as you know it's like, reputation like the worst movie ever made or anything like that mm-hmm. i do remember that uh coming out and sony i think it was sony uh basically deciding after the first week to just pull it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah it, it, it's a bad movie for sure and when once again ben affleck uh just converting those lesbians <laughs> left and right isn't he and he does it in chasing amy yeah. and Geely. <laughs> left and right <laughs> <laughs> in Armageddon, he yeah, somehow exactly. finds a way to convert remember a lesbian. Well, Liv Tyler was totally a lesbian in that movie. Remember when <laughs> Elaine tries to turn a gay guy, <laughs> yeah. and afterwards he goes back. Oh, Jerry's yeah. like, you have to understand, man. he's got more access to the equipment. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe I have access 45 minutes, and that's on a good week. Yeah. <laughs> and you see it, so like, there's still a spot for you. On our team. On our team. <laughs> we have She's a good like, team. <laughs> and then they start watching Melrose Place. Oh, oh, I love that. Uh, so Out of Sight 2. Yeah, that was my pick. There you go. All right, I got a prequel idea. Uh, for Get Out. Oh. So what we see in Get Out is perfect, basically. I love this movie so much. There's so many different layers to it because you've got the racial thing. You've got some comedy in there. You've got some drama. You've got some, you know, a lot of subtext to it. But if you once they show the backstory on that video that they forced Daniel Kaluuya to watch, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, this family that's been trying to to transfer consciousness essentially into a new body, but it it hasn't always been about race. Uh, what they they literally came out and said, you know, black is in right now, mm-hmm. and you know people are are coming around and saying, I want to be in an African American body now, um, but that wasn't always the case. So they've been doing this since Grandpa started it, uh, you know, long ago. Bradley Whitford's uh, dad, mm-hmm. 
I'd like to see like the origins of of that company, like that idea of how they made it work and how you know what it was originally intended to do. Maybe it started with altruistic uh, purposes. They wanted to prolong life and not necessarily just benefit the wealthy. It became that. And I would like to see that story. I think that would be interesting. I think that's a very cool idea because there is a lot of history suggested there. I really love Get Out. Mm -hmm. But why does that auction have to be silent? Well, I mean, he... It, it makes for a very... nearby enough. It makes for a very effective scene of creepiness. Yeah. When we're kind of finally getting the, the, the last curtain kind of pulled back a little bit there. But... It's never made sense to me why that has to be a silent auction. Because he's close enough to where he could potentially hear and potentially, you know, make a run for it. Is he? Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't know how far he's gone. Well, I guess. the the fact that the it happens at all where he could stumble upon it is bad enough. No, I that's true. with his yeah, picture yeah. sitting up there on an easel. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. the thing. Like that's the that I think that was something we send in, yeah, the, yeah. in the video because. Um, you do have to have that so that it explains what's going on and everything. But at the same time, he is just literally like hundreds of feet away. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know. Well, it's the same thing when he goes upstairs and everybody gets yeah. silent. Chilling moment. Mm -hmm. But how would he not notice yeah. the entire fucking party? Yeah. It's like he's on the top stair. He couldn't like stop and be like, what the fuck's going on down yeah. there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I would love to see like how... First of all, how that's possible, mm -hmm. um, and then like you know how it started and how they developed the technology, how they got the family involved. Who were the initial test subjects? You got to figure there's some fucked up test subjects out there. Exactly, like the right? first handful probably didn't go very well. Yeah, because we only see Lakeith Stanfield is one of the as the only converted person. Yeah, right? although she had dated so many. Yeah. Oh no, and also the the staff are, are converted. Yeah, too. the staff is. I, I wonder what's going on with the other guys yeah. that are out there. So you could even do a sequel with that too, because. At the end of well, I don't know if we're in spoiler territory with Get Out, but um, but you know by the end of it, those that that's never addressed. Like right. those people are still out there. Yeah. So yeah, and then plus all the stuff, oh, the people that the brothers gotten too. Mm -hmm. So not only is there a large population just recently with the kids, they had to have a ton of people before this to develop this to get to this point. Yeah. I dig it, man. No, mm -hmm. I could, I could see that. I, I could see that. Why don't you get Jordan Peele on the phone? That well, that's one of the things I put in my notes. Actually, this would have to be directed by Jordan Peele because this is such a unique universe that he built, mm -hmm. and to have the humor, that shit is so funny. He's and doing a Twilight Zone next. Jordan Peele is. Yeah. Oh, he's gonna basically executive produce a reboot of the Twilight Zone TV show. It's and gonna I, be a TV series. I think it's gonna Fuck. be a TV. It might be a limited, you know, like a limited run series mm -hmm. or what have you. Um, I'll watch anything he does, man. Did you see that thing about uh, Big Little Lies? Because it was based on a book, and mm -hmm. it was conceived as a one-season limited run. And then, like, a couple of days after most of the organizations announced all their nominations, uh, they announced they were going to do season two of Big Little Lies. Yeah. Which I guess they're just going to make up from scratch. Hmm. But, like, a bunch of the awards people are pissed because they had already put them in like you limited know, series limited whatever. series yeah, yeah. and now you're not a limited series and you're going to take that award probably from another limited series that you know isn't cashing in yeah. and at least one awards has completely removed them from the ballot and put them on another category. i don't even oh. know how you do that like unless i mean are they going to use the same people at, at what i saw was that reese witherspoon and nicole kidman would be back for sure and i remember and and a third one uh, Shailene, just, Shailene Woodley? No, that's that's the only name I didn't read would 
would come back. And I remember thinking, well, if you're going to bring everybody back, why would Zoe Kravitz? Zoe Kravitz would come back. Okay. Yeah. The, the, yeah, that was, that's a, uh, an injury. I don't know how you make a second season of that. It would be ridiculous for a lot of the same type of stuff to be happening. I mean, this past season was just like, it was like constant barrage with Nicole Kidman and Alexander Skarsgård and all that, like uh. that. <laughs> Every time they were in a scene together, it, it was I was like, like God, okay, we get it. We get it already. Yeah. I've seen it enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it seems like to me, if you were going to do it again, you just have different actors like Fargo does. Yeah, do know? a different story in a different community. Because, I love the anthology concept that, yeah. that's been popularized. Because yeah. I believe Fargo was nominated for limited series, even though it's a constant series, right? Interesting. Because, I don't know. Because it's not the same characters over and over. Maybe, I don't know. Hmm. Off track. Sorry. Anyway, yes, Jordan Peele would have to direct this yes. motherfucker. Get out, too. I like it. Get out! I mean, get out the prequel. Get in. Looking forward get to seeing in. how... <laughs> yes. <laughs> get out, too. Getting in. <laughs> um, the Yeah, I, I'm, I'm be interested to see how his career will be over the next 10 years, what we're going to see from him. It's fucking awesome. Um, I have another one. Uh, Groundhog Day 2. Ooh. All right. Um... Obviously, this has to happen to him again, right? Or somebody. Well, so at the end of Groundhog Day, he says, let's live here, right? Or let's move here. He uh, does yeah, say something some, like that. Yeah, I think, right. yeah. So uh, this doesn't, this can't just be some random thing that happens to him one time in his life. Although I guess it could at mm -hmm. his age. It's the first time and last time it could, I guess it could be whatever. But uh, I feel like the sequel to this could either be him or a different person, which is, you know, or it could be him and an adversary. Mm -hmm. And both of them have to find a way to work together to get the day fixed. So they're both in the loop. Yes. All right. They're both in the loop. So at first, Phil thinks, oh, I have to do all the same things I did the first time. I have to have the perfect day and so on and so forth. But his, you know, his evil version is his rival. Uh is constantly fucking things up. Uh, and by the time he gets together and says, Hey, we need to do this and this and whatever, you know, they have to find a way to work together, but there's a lot of conflicts with that. Like things that things that Phil will have to do, he'll have to lose some things. Yeah. And same thing for the, for the rival, he'll have to lose some things and they have to figure out what the perfect balance is to get through this deck. Interesting. Uh, is this in Punxsutawney? Uh, I mean, it could be. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no. I mean, I don't think there's any real reason it has to be anywhere, but uh, anywhere specific. But yeah, I mean, why not put it in Bucks Tommy? Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, he's got a rival now, and it could be it could be fucking Chris Elliott for all I care. <laughs> um, um, but uh, I think that could work. Like a like uh, I think it would sort of show the value of compromise and it would show like uh, a lot of things that you know there's some things that suck about life that you have to deal with in order to get what you really want and everything so i think it would be fun to do that yeah i like that you guys don't seem entirely sold i'm down with that i'm like, totally down i was actually my half my brain is spent perfecting my next idea <laughs> <laughs> no i think I, the idea of the compromise like say he has to lose not that anybody watching it would care, but he would have to lose Andy McDowell. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Like Jeremy would be like, that's the first thing that needs to go. <laughs> yeah, he's got to get rid of uh, <laughs> yeah. Andy McDowell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, up with- you know, the, that first that day that you got her and everything, <laughs> that was a great day. But now you need to lose her. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid she's far too too Andy McDowell to stay around. No, and I do like the idea that say Phil thinks he's got a perfect day, mm. and he doesn't even know that his rival is actively fucking it up because yeah. his perfect day is different yes and that's going to be those those conflicts that's right or how it's going to end up screwing up i like that idea a lot it reminds me of a star trek the next generation episode but not really something that would be done on star trek (laughs) next generation no a specific one where geordie and roe are transporting and they get phased out to where you can't see them Hmm. and everybody thinks they're dead they died in this transporter incident and they're running around trying to figure out how to be visible again and get somebody's attention what have you about halfway through the episode there's a they they find a, or the audience finds out that there's a romulan from a nearby ship that is also out of phase and huh. is able to move around unseen by everybody else huh. so i just like the idea of phil going through his groundhog day shenanigans but not at first realizing that there's like a counterpart out there anyway yeah. I, like, I like that yeah so, and that would be the that'd be a, a, a cool part of the first act he doesn't know right who who it it's is like why the fuck isn't this working yeah like he he keeps trying to do the same thing and then i guess he would have to have a cap on this like three or four times he'd be like i don't know what else i can do yeah, yeah. and then he finds out okay over on the other part of town this is happening and- yeah there's a there's like a mystery element to mm-hmm. it to where you know why isn't this it's a puzzle yeah i like it that would be the music and this uh rival would be bill connor Yes, Bill That's Connors. Oh right. uh, yeah, could even get Stephen Tobolowski to be his rival. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, th- there was another idea I had on this as well. You could even have it where, but this would sort of take Bill Murray out of the equation, and you don't really want to do that. But you could have it happen again, but it, he doesn't know that it's happening. And it's somebody else that's having the thing. Oh, and he yeah. just happens to be an ancillary character in the story that could be kind of and, oh that's interesting and he has and every time we see bill murray he's having like the best time of his life or whatever <laughs> you know it's like like i wish i could have this day over and over again <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great because that person then could come up to bill murray and he would be the only person that would believe that yeah that character yeah like, all right here's what you got to do and then he keeps resetting every day mm-hmm. that they screw it like, up was, and then he could be like could you could you not do it yeah. right away <laughs> right away now what he would say is come find me when you wake up (laughs) (laughs) yes yes um okay so i'm starting to kind of enjoy these uh these geriatric comedies that Mm, we talked about popping up like it started with didn't start with but you know with bucket list and space cowboys and the crew and Mm -hmm. i just found one the other day on one of the movie channels i'd never even heard of and it's uh going in style Uh, oh yeah morgan freeman Michael Caine and uh, Alan Arkin. Morgan Freeman's always in these. He is. Because there's another one. close to death. There's another one coming out with him in it that's coming out. And then, of course, then there's some bullshit on TV with Terry Bradshaw. Oh, yeah. There's that. And then there's nowhere that bullshit. Was he in Las Vegas? Yeah. Las Vegas. That's Uh, the one with Michael Douglas. Right. And uh, Kevin Klein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he is. That's, that's sort of the point. Is that these yeah, he is. He's in every one of these. <laughs> yeah. He's in every single one. So in this going in style, like the something, the com- company fucks over their pensions or something. Like it's mm. like a corporate buyout and they're not going to pay out these pensions. So these guys have no money. But Michael Caine had started the movie at the bank and these guys had robbed the bank. And mm. so they get the idea these three old dudes are going to rob a bank. 
steal the bank's money and get rich. I didn't even watch the whole thing. So basically, I want to take a, a geriatric comedy format. I want to mix it in with a little bit of Rear Window. Mm. Huh. And we're going to do Sneakers 2. where Sidney Poitier and Robert Redford are like roommates in a retirement home (laughs) center, what have you. They're a little too keyed in on their neighbors, what they can see out the window, what have you. They can't stop sneaking, basically, (laughs) even though they're old and diseased or what have you. They use their hacking skills to... You know, change their bill if a restaurant overbills them, what have you. It's, it's comical, more comical this time, and the stakes aren't quite as high. Uh, but basically, let's see where these people are 25 years later, uh, except for River Phoenix. Well, yeah. the interesting thing is they're not rich at the end of Sneakers, right? They don't, because no. neither of those well, two. Well, even in the beginning of the movie, they, that girl goes, it's not much of a living. They're not even making much money doing it to begin with. Yeah, yeah. But They're not asking their, for money. Even with the device that they get, they steal the money, but they put it into like charities right. and stuff like that. Yep. They don't They don't keep it. Yeah, and that's the David Strathairn's request, basically. Yeah, but yeah. Sidney Poitier just goes to on a vacation, and uh, Martin just gets his name cleared. Like mm-hmm. They didn't ask for any recompense. So yeah, they could just be in a regular-ass retirement community. And you know... Uh, uh, Ackroyd can pull up in his Winnebago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 maybe it could be a road trip movie yeah. <laughs> with these guys in his Winnebago. And along the way, they rear window style see a crime and well, step in to try and stop it. And talk <laughs> about how their their jobs have changed since 1992. Yeah. Like all the different kinds of hacking and stuff that they've probably had to had to sort of learn over the years to you know because now it's completely different Mm -hmm. of course they sort of uh gloss over that in in 1992 by just having a thing that decrypts everything right yeah yeah. so they don't really i don't i guess god's eye yeah i guess they don't really need uh to know a lot of new things but uh, you could almost have some fun like maybe they have a hot young hacker guy on their crew who can you know hack apps on the app store do all the new digital stuff but these guys are like you know get off my lawn i've got a vcr you know (laughs) we use this old school duct tape and electric wire and yada yada i don't know i just think that would be a fun way to see those characters again by the way that other morgan freeman movie i'm thinking of came out a couple of weeks ago and it's called just getting started and it has Tommy Lee Jones and Rene Russo, and it's got a 3.8 on the IMDb. Ah. Wow. And uh, poor Ron Shelton. He wrote and directed this. <laughs> wow. Well, he's getting up there in age, too. Yeah, yeah. This Maybe this was on his bucket list. It could be. <laughs> could be. He's 72. Yeah. So. so. Huh? All right. So my idea for a reboot is actually actively being done, and they're absolutely going to fuck it up. Sony's doing it. Masters of the Universe. So I grew up loving me some Mm He-Man. Like that was out of G.I. Joe, Transformers, and He-Man. He-Man was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when the movie came out with Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella, it was abysmal. Even to my, what, I guess seven, Mm eight-year-old self, I was like, the fuck is this shit? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> because it was all it was all like gritty and it was all it was set on earth and mm-hmm. i was just like what the fuck is all this like the effects were bad um so i i would love to see this done right and i think you can do it right because those characters even though they're based on a toy line you can you can do stuff with that we saw it in lego movie mm-hmm. you can actually make a good movie 
So if you set it back in Eternia, did you ever watch He-Man when you were growing up? <laughs> oh, really? I did. You did. Yeah. So you set it in Eternia, which is his planet, um, and it's the eternal battle of He-Man and his forces versus Skeletor and his forces. Um, what I want to do is make it in kind of like a raid-style uh, format. Ooh. So what happens is in my in my script, Skeletor comes in, and uh, He-Man's alter ego is Adam, and he's a prince. His parents are the king and queen of Eternia. So Skeletor comes in, raids Castle Grayskull, and kills his parents, kills Adam's parents. Mm-hmm. Takes the power sword, okay? So Adam has to break into Snake Mountain Skeletor's lair as Adam because he doesn't have the, the sword to transform. He's so weak, Adam is. He's a fucking, man, like, he's like all cowardly. He, 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 what's, what kills me is Adam looks exactly like He-Man, <laughs> only with like a shirt on. Yeah. He, and he's got all the muscles He-Man does. But he's but, lily-livered. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but then you bring in, so Man-at-Arms, like his, his kind of second-in-command, <laughs> is also a scientist. Mm-hmm. So you can develop the science side of this character. <laughs> You've got Tila, who's this badass warrior female mm-hmm. that uh, could also help the three of them with Orko. Yes, with Orko is the little bit of comic relief. Yeah. They break into Snake Mountain, and there's a zillion, just as there's a million toys, there's a zillion characters in the villain world. So they have to get through each of these characters to get to Skeletor at the end. And if you stage it with some like badass raid-style fighting, to get to this place to where you got to use Tila in one scene. You got to use Duncan in one scene. You got to use uh, Adam in another scene. And then he finally get to Skeletor. I think that would be fun. Mm, There's yeah. no way anything that interesting is going to happen with this reboot. Do, well, does that mean that he's not He-Man for a lot of this movie? Then? Correct. Ooh. It's it's more Masters of the Universe Marketing than Marketing is. is going to have a fucking heart attack on that. Yeah, but then when he gets it, he has to become He-Man to even have a chance against Skeletor. So mm-hmm. he gets to the, the sword. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. Right. He gets to the sword, and then he fights Skeletor as He-Man. Mm-hmm. L- listening to you pitch a reboot of a show I've never watched is a bit like people who've tried to explain World of Warcraft. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you start rattling off places like Grayskull Castle and Snake Oil Mountain or whatever. I could tell you everything, man. You've got got Ram Man, you've got Manny Faces, (laughs) you've got got Evil Lynn, you've got all kinds of... But did you ever watch Mask? Mask? Uh, The Eric Stoltz movie? No, the cartoon with the green vehicles and the Save the Universe squad. Mm-mm. I don't know. Mask stood for something. My God. I think I remember what you're talking about. M-A-S-K? Yeah. I didn't see I it. I don't think I ever watched it. Was that your jam? That was my jam. <laughs> that and Transformers. <laughs> you never watched He-Man? No. Mom and Dad would not approve He-Man any more really? than they would G.I. Joe. No. Interesting. Well, He-Man has this, this combination has a of demon like... demon skeleton face bad guy. I mean, my mom and dad were like... That's true. And and his sidekick is really evil Lynn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you ever see the episode where he was on the backwards planet? Yes. I I, I remember um I remember like I loved that episode so much that I took my you know, this is in the eighties, this like tape recorder that I had and like wanted I record like when it came on again, a rerun, I wanted to record the part where he finally figures out 
how to become He-Man on this backwards planet. Uh-huh. You know, because he's got to say the words backwards. He's right, got to right, be yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Grayskull of power <laughs> thee by. And, uh, and I was like, yes! <laughs> you recorded the audio? I did. Ah, so, like, weird. I would go back and listen to it and everything and memorize it or whatever. It's only five fucking words. But, like, I, you know... <laughs> that's fucking great <laughs> and uh and like because it, it gave me chills back then <laughs> like that that he he'd been struggling on this planet for so long <laughs> he couldn't become he-man and then finally he says the words backwards even though at eight or nine though when he says i have the power he said i have the power and it wasn't backwards so oh. I was like, not to mention just saying the words in reverse order is not truly backwards. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. He has to go. Exactly. Now, I bet you if you play what Chris just said backwards, it actually sounds the watermelon is tasty. Some kind of back masking. It's just the usual subliminal messages I put in every single Drink Coke. That's right. I'm just saying, like, as a He-Man fan, wouldn't you like to see it done right? Because mm-hmm. that movie was so fucking awful. I don't think I ever saw the movie. Are you serious? Yeah. Man. I mean, Frank fucking Langella as Skeletor mm-hmm. and Dolph Lundgren just... Apparently, Dolph Lundgren is this super genius and apparently also an underrated actor, but he was fucking abysmal in this. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is before he got his degrees. I guess so, man. The smarts came later. And he was all buttered up, too, man. It was just disgusting. Like, it just did. Mm, yeah. Hey, I like Popeye, but I don't need to see a Popeye movie. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like the Robert Alban Popeye. Not me. Not very many like people it? do. Yeah. I don't think... I don't, no, have I ever seen it? No, I've never seen that. I mean... My favorite part is when he says the thing backwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he actually spits out the spinach. So it's like... Same forwards and backwards. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, Robert Altman, the head of his time. That's where He-Man got it. It's got the idea. It was from Robert Altman's Popeye. I didn't write this down, but I started thinking of some really ridiculous sequels like Armageddon 2 yeah and uh, armageddon it yeah exactly <laughs> they get up there on an on an asteroid and, and bruce willis is still alive it's the same asteroid has come back around it's like the martian only on an asteroid <laughs> the the <laughs> that's the pitch right there that's all you have to say but i thought about like if you're gonna make armageddon 2 you gotta make it super ridiculous you gotta have like four asteroids coming towards earth yeah Mm -hmm. and what would be interesting plot wise about an armageddon 2 with four asteroids coming towards earth is if they were able to figure out the trajectories of all of them and they have to decide they have to decide to get one they can't get them all and so they have to figure out like what's the less least amount of people that are gonna die if and all that Ooh. What if this time they went and got the world's best curling team Ooh. and they figured out a way to knock one of the asteroids into the other three asteroids perfectly? Exactly. See, now, uh, uh. no, it has to be ridiculous. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get it at this angle. That's right. You and they got to be Canadian. So they're like, okay, this is what it's about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> All right, guy. You got to have just the right trajectory in space. Like people in the spacesuits with the brushes going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're scrubbing that space. We got to have the brooms. <laughs> have the brooms, you see okay? See them like out in space scrubbing. What are they scrubbing? <laughs> <laughs> they're scrubbing space. <laughs> they're, they're scrubbing they space. They got to scrub the radiation they're, out of the way. Exactly. <laughs> they're stardust. Stardust, guys. That's how asteroids travel. It's, it's, oh man, that'd that was, be fucking great. I'm sorry, I just completely like ruined your idea. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's it. We would want it to be super ridiculous. Yeah, we'd want to have. We want to make it. We're like, no, seriously. <laughs> See, this time, you know, it, you'd have to get Michael Bay to direct this too. Uh huh. You'd have to get it super ridiculous. You'd have to, uh, you know, because you know he wanted that fucking asteroid to hit Earth. If he, if he really want, I mean, I know a, a few hit. That's why you know, he's able to have some scenes of the cities blowing up and stuff because that's what he loves doing. But uh, you know, he, you know, he wants to see what happens when a huge asteroid hits and whatever. I mean, and that's the other thing. There might be a situation where there's three smaller asteroids mm. and one bigger one. And they have to do the bigger one because the bigger one would cause the the big nuclear winter or whatever the fuck okay. it is, where the dust mm-hmm. flies in the air and the sun can't reach you know yeah. Earth and everything. That basically, one, the worst parts of the Bible. Basically, the worst parts of the Bible. <laughs> An ELE. But uh, that that it that asteroid wouldn't immediately kill anybody, but it would kill all of life. Meanwhile, the other three, like one's going towards New York and another one's going towards Moscow and another one's going towards, you know, London or something. Yeah. And then they have to, uh, you know, you're going to have all this, you know, core, you know, see you Brits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's too bad. Whereas in what's it, what movie was it? It was one of the James Bonds where they were like, we've got, uh, we've got missiles uh, pointed towards London and like Manchester, and <laughs> <laughs> it was like Yorkshire. It was like London, New York City, and Manchester. <laughs> it's like it reminds me of Mars Attacks, where Jack Nicholson's like Earth with a big, huge hand, and Mars with a small <laughs> hand. <you know? laughs> Oh, uh, I like your ideas. I think we got some good ideas. Yeah, I think they're mm-hmm. going to be all greenlit by the time we publish this episode. Indeed. Indeed. Man. It's, yeah, already, it's, it's, it's already happened. All of them are, are essentially viable. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't think Jerry Maguire, too, is very viable. I mean, I'm sure if the studio had Tom Cruise involved and he was like, I'll make it, they'd probably do it. Mm-hmm. Who would play Ray? Actually, I was thinking about that. Because everybody, everybody I think of who would nail like the role of a hotshot young sports agent is too old. Like The first thing I thought was Dak Shepard. Uh mm. yeah, and then I thought of Jason Bateman. Yeah. They're all a little too old. It's gonna have to be one of those kids, maybe Zac Efron. Yeah, like a Zac Efron type. You know, there's been a lot of Zac Efron love out there. Mm-hmm. I it's don't... time for some hate. <laughs> Is he been impressive to you besides maybe Neighbors? I liked him in Neighbors. I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything else. Well, the I didn't watch High School Musical. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> of course it's... you did. It's uh, it's one of those things where he's not only better than you expect. I don't know. He's better than you expect. So every time he shows up in some sort of comedy role, there's a I don't know. There's a sort of a familiarity to what the you know how he how he's doing it, and yeah. it's he does the same bullshit in Baywatch, and I feel like he's not. I mean, Baywatch is not a good movie anyway, mm. but um. But in that movie, he's particularly egregious for some reason. Like, it's just, it's too dumb. Yeah. It's too dumb. And, Have you uh, seen Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates? Uh-huh. 
I've seen that too. Pretty dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a collection of really great people. Mm-hmm. That guy from Silicon Valley's in it. Yeah. That guy from Veep is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like both the male leads. You mm-hmm. got Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's just, just a groaner. Like, Stephen Root is in that movie. I mean, <laughs> and even, even in uh, The Disaster Artist, Zach Efron is playing that, you know, the, the guy, the robber guy. Yeah. And it, and it's it's one note. It's uh, I mean he's basically got. He's only got a scene. He's got to right? be that way. Though. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think we've. I think I don't think it's fair to say right now he deserves hate. Yeah. I think it's just that he's still not getting that role yet. That we're like, oh, he's amazing, or whatever. Yeah, he was he was borderline breakout. Obviously, he was a well known person, but mm-hmm. he got so much love for Neighbors, which he's justifiably he's hilarious in there. Mm-hmm. So is Dave Franco, but. Like, I think it's just leveled off. He did that raunchy comedy that I can't even remember where he gets his dick stuck in a in a toilet or something like that. Do you remember what I'm what? talking about? Mm, was yeah. that uh, that that moment? Uh, that, that awkward moment. That awkward moment. Yeah, 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 oh, okay. yeah I haven't seen that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anybody did. Yeah. How do you get your dick stuck in a toilet? It's <laughs> mm, mm, a good question. I mean, you got to be doing some really shady shit to even flirt with getting your dick stuck in a toilet. <laughs> Either that, or you've got an elephant trunk penis, and you know, <laughs> maybe that's why got it's bigger blind. problems than that anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I wish he would do something to earn his. Uh, he needs his. Uh, he needs that one-two punch Brad Pitt had with Seven and Twelve Monkeys. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, he's not just a pretty face. Uh, he's actually got talent. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get that. Yeah. I, I think I did see that awkward moment, but I don't remember that scene. <laughs> he, I, yeah, he, like like Jeremy saying, I think he's got to have something that's. Because that's what happened to Pitt. Pitt, I thought Pitt was just going to be, you know, that pretty boy for the longest mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Like, okay, he's serviceable. And then he does seven and 12 monkeys. And I was like, okay, I'm sold on this guy. Um, so, yeah, he needs to find one of those. And I don't, maybe he's just not finding them. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he doesn't not, want to. Maybe he's I mean, not interested. Maybe The Rock knocks on his door and says, hey, want to make Baywatch? And he's like, fuck, why would I not? Let's <laughs> yeah. do it. We can both lift weights together. Yeah. yeah. We'll be on the beach for six months <laughs> shooting. Why not? Yeah. Man, Baywatch. Oh, that's that's got to, if I, if we made a worst of the year, that would hit it. Really? Yeah, it's easily on there. <laughs> so bad. Which is crazy because it actually started off as being an interesting idea when you saw the first trailer like it was more comedic than we thought mm-hmm. people were kind of excited for it and then yeah it was like, i was i saw the trailer and i was like that could that could be something yeah no yeah no it's not questions yeah let's do it ah, ah. okay one uh this is one that was teased in the last episode teased. uh the one before the last jedi by the way before we start into this ton of comments for our last jedi mm-hmm. mini pod mm-hmm. love it a lot of debate, a lot of mirroring what we were saying, a lot of people agreeing with Jeremy, ton of people agreeing with Chris, a couple of people agreeing with me, uh, but I, there's a good variety it's, of comments. Uh, it's, uh, it's funny, as the comments came in, there were there were a lot of people who were like, this movie is terrible, I don't know how you can like this, blah, 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 blah. And my response to one of them was, I'm going to agree with you with yeah. all the things that you hate about this movie because I, I totally understand it. It's not it, this is not that type of movie where you can just say, Oh, I can ignore the bad. Yeah. Because there you can't. You yeah. can't ignore it. Yeah. And it's it's going to be a it's going to be very interesting ten years from now how we perceive this movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And uh because because uh, I love it now. I love the idea that, you know, that he tried he tried to, you know, change the course of star wars 
it may not end up being successful the way I mean you know, JJ Abrams coming back for he this, may reset he that may shit. reset it yeah so uh, it's a, somebody brought up another interesting thing about uh, that you know that you know they're behind the scenes Lawrence Kasdan had written a script for this Ryan Johnson came in and threw out everything that Lawrence Kasdan did and I was like that's a very that would be in a mind-blowing scenario yeah that ryan johnson who i know people respect as a filmmaker but doesn't have any power i wouldn't think not the kind of power kazdan would have no and doesn't have the kind of power to remember this is a franchise where two two directing teams have been fired well one one directing team and a director has been fired from yeah. their Star Wars for trying to make it different. Right. And Ryan Johnson comes in and makes it different, and they're like, oh, we're cool with this. Yeah. So, And J.J. Abrams is an executive producer on this. Mm-hmm. It's not like he didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I've got to know what's, what happened there. I've got to know. Yeah. Because that's got to be the that's got to be a story in of itself. Yeah, no kidding. That he got this made. Behind the scenes. I yeah. agree. Anyway. It, anyway, sorry. Questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Questions. Uh, so we teased this in the last episode, the last major sin cast here. I have a question that uh, I think you'll have fun discussing. Even though most people hate the Halloween remake and it's not good, uh, this person likes the idea of exploring Michael Myers' life as a child. Mm. I do not, but okay, we'll go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue is that the story that was told in the remake was not very good. This person always thought that we need to talk about Kevin was a better origin story for Michael Myers. He's than the one he absolutely got. right. That, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a fucked up movie. Yeah. Um, so in that vein, in your opinions, what seemingly unrelated films form good prequels or sequels to the other? Kind of mm. ties into our uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. Very nice. That's very right. nice. Uh, as you can tell, I had Groundhog Day on the brain uh, during this podcast. Um so nothing ever really explains what's going on in Groundhog Day. This is one of the things. It's just something magical that happens to Phil Connors, and we never get an explanation for it. He just knows that he has to make the day perfect and so on. But what if Phil Connors is in the Matrix? Ah, <clears throat> that's a big glitch. What if there? What if the machines are changing things every 24 hours and something about Phil Connors keeps cha- keeps getting it back to the same day his oh. code is the only part that's not going with the rest of right the change right and he needs to make the day perfect because otherwise everything goes into chaos the next day interesting um and because the matrix introduced the idea of deja vu being a glitch in the matrix when they change something and so on uh, it wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility that he's in the matrix and that something is getting changed every 24 hours or that whatever his scenario that he's in is not adding up to what they need to happen for the next day. Yeah. So I feel like the matrix is a, is a, is a decent prequel or at least side story to groundhog day. That's awesome. That's very good. <laughs> By the way, speaking of the matrix, Every time I watch that, I don't notice the cat until he says, whoa, deja vu. Mm-hmm. Does Is the cat shown before then? Yes, it's shown twice. Okay. It's just, just the never same. It. It's just the same. It's not deja vu as we know it, though. It's 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 bullshit deja vu in the Matrix. Because, it's not the same because scenario? He sees the, he sees the cat, and it meows, and it runs off. And then you see him walking up the stairs some more, and then he turns back, and it's the exact same cat at the exact same place, meowing, blah, 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 blah. Instead of him just going, 
oh, that's the same cat. Right. He goes, oh, weird, deja vu. That's so weird, you know, and it really isn't. Yeah, but yeah. Because deja vu is that feeling you get that something has happened a long time ago or yeah. like a week ago or whatever, not within two seconds of each other. I hate yeah. the way Carrie Ann Moss says it too. She's like, a deja vu is usually <laughs> a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. A deja vu. A deja vu. Yeah. A deja vu. A deja vu. But, uh, you know, I made her British, too. I uh, I added in this Groundhog Day thing this is, is like there's a possibility that maybe even and if you wanted to really explore it, that Phil is kind of like the Joey Pants character that he was out of the Matrix at one time. Mm. And he went and made a deal with Agent Smith and said, I want to get back in. It's ignorance is bliss and so on. And uh, and he's been put back in. But something has happened where he still kind of has an idea of what's going oh, on. Oh, that's interesting. And um, because he was retconned in, mm -hmm. maybe that's what screws it up in the first place. Right. That's that's like the that. other thing. So there's a lot of little interesting things you could take with that. Yeah. I, I, I would like to see that movie, actually. But, you know, you're, yeah, I don't know. It would be fun. I could see a... I could see Ned Ryerson. Morpheus? <laughs> Bob Morpheus? <laughs> Long time no see. Um, I think October Sky works really well as a prequel to uh, Apollo 13. Hmm. Uh, it's funny that I'm mentioning October Sky twice in one yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Even more obscure than Groundhog Day to reference twice. Uh, have you seen October Sky? It's been forever. Mm -hmm. So, great movie. Um one of the early Jake Gyllenhaal roles, uh -huh. and basically in the late 50s, after Sputnik goes up, and these kids get inspired to dive into rocketry and start shooting off their own homemade rockets, and they get accused of starting a fire, and then they use math to prove that it couldn't possibly have been them because they went out and found their rocket. Uh, it's just a really cool science is fun kind of thing, but I could see one of those students going to work for NASA 10 years later when the Apollo stuff is kicking into gear. Oh. I could see that character growing up and having been so, so fond of rocketry as a kid. I'm going to be a rocket scientist and you end up working for NASA. And so maybe he's one of those guys at Apollo 13 who cheers at the end. Yeah. When, when they come back on the comm. He might be one of the ones that create a round thing into a, yeah. a, a, yeah. a square yeah. hole. He might right? be the guy with the duct tape. Yeah. You know? yeah. Anyway, I like I like thinking that. I think that would be an interesting double feature regardless. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like two different eras in the space mm. program. Um, Could even bridge it with um, the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good movie. That's a. I feel like that movie's almost been lost to time, even though a lot of people liked it when it came out. It's got a seven point eight on IMDb. Yeah, Chris Cooper's in it. He's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, enjoy, I remember liking it. Great coming of age film. Great math and science are good film. If you got kids that are into that stuff, or you mm -hmm. wish they were. Uh, what was that two thousand? Nineteen ninety nine. Ninety nine. I would even pitch a three a three movie showing. You start with October Sky, then you do Apollo thirteen, then you go into the future and do The Martian. Mm. nice mm. that is a that science is fuck well mm -hmm. and space is fuck did you see the pictures by the way that elon musk tweeted out of the falcon heavy rocket spacex's biggest rocket ever yes that's 27 engines <laughs> he, he tweeted out the back of it right yeah, yeah three circa awesome. nine engine <laughs> engines oh my god it's like i'm geeking out to see that thing i guess yeah. it's gonna go up in january elon musk has been on some twitter recently man i saw a great photo i think it was on reddit and it was spacex in 2002 and it's literally like a dozen people in <laughs> casual attire in an empty 
average office space that they probably just rented with like a little, you know, whiz banger in their hand or some kind of party celebration. And then it's like SpaceX today. And it's like this fucking, yeah. you know, Falcon heavy rocket factory. You know, I mean, they've just think about it in like 15 years how much they've accomplished. Mm -hmm. They're fucking regularly landing rockets back on Earth after firing up into space. I know, man. D does he have he has a someone's bet him something and he's going to try to do it with like wasn't it to solve some country's hunger problem or something well he there's something around it's not the hunger problem and he sent a bunch of batteries because basically he's in three four companies now basically he's got tesla spacex the boring company which is making these mm -hmm. tunnels and then um this company that makes batteries uh, that he sees as you know i guess clean electricity uh you, you buy one of these batteries for your house and mm. i guess you then have to plug it in to charge it at some point but anyway he sent a bunch of those to puerto rico after the hurricanes came mm. through to, that was like the first source of power i think a lot of them got and then there's something with australia i think australia has paid him a shit ton of money to do something with the battery technology to hmm. power their grid or something and then of course it's like two cities that have already contracted him to build tunnels like i guess he's going to yeah. build a tunnel from dc to new york a hyperloop mm -hmm. tunnel but um and one in la right? and one in la yeah, yeah. to san francisco mm. i think anyway yeah, that dude it, is tony stark basically. yeah but it, it was whatever it was it was something where it was by the end of the year or mm. something like that he, he and it was some impossible task and he just said okay i'll do it huh i'll have to look into that so with mine i don't know if i can make this work temporally um but i would love to see did you ever see perks of being a wallflower nope so perks of being a wallflower is really good like, you know what the subtitle age. of that movie is <clears throat> what's that jeremy's not interested <laughs> it's, a, it's a good coming I, that's what i've heard and the guy has struggles with severe anxiety and depression interesting and uh, plays a major role in uh in the the actual story now i, I think you'd like bad. it actually um but ezra miller and emma thompson emma They're such a cute couple. Are you doing the Lolita too? Yes. <laughs> Ezra Miller and Emma Watson are brother and sister. And uh, Ezra Miller is this very outspoken homosexual teenager. Mm -hmm. And he's flamboyant. He's hilarious. And I would love to see his character eventually become Michael Sheen's character in Tron Legacy. Ah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's got to get in the game somehow. <laughs> uh, he's got to get into the game. So he becomes like he's he's frustrated because he's been persecuted. Uh, he's having an affair with the uh, the the star quarterback in the movie, and he eventually like gets threatened and things like that. And he's he's living in this oppressive jock style environment. If he f finally gets out of there, finds his way into this game. He would totally be a dude that was in charge and just like out there and fucking like making shit happen. So yeah, I thought you were gonna go toward the birdcage and make him one of the like the Hank Azaria type character <laughs> in the birdcage. Ezra Miller making two of these uh, uh, things. Here. Yeah, yeah. You know, we got to talk about Kevin and this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. I don't know, man. I love that character. I, I really think if the perks of being a wallflower comes on one of your the the cable networks, whatever. You should watch it. it okay. Would, it would be interesting. Uh, That's the one with Emma Thompson? Mm -hmm. By the way, the Elon Musk thing is, um, can, you guarantee, can you guarantee 100, I guess it's megawatts, in 100 days? 
And he says, Tesla will get the system installed and working 100 days from contract signature or it's free. That serious enough for you? This is all through Twitter. And uh, this is today. South Australia is taking charge of our energy future. Find out more, so on and so forth. So he apparently did that. He built this big, huge battery and had 40 days to spare. God damn. Mm -hmm. He is Tony Stark. He is Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not going to be surprised if he starts flying around in the middle of the <laughs> I'm really not. All right, let's do another one. Oh, man. All right, so we got a lot of kids' questions for whatever reason uh, this week. Uh, as a disclaimer, I'd like to mention that I am a normal, functional member of society. <laughs> this which is, means, this which is a means good you're about to get something fucked up. Exactly. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and uh, my question isn't a reflection of my peace and love outlook on life. Okay, here goes. Is there any child film characters that you would like to just slap across the back of the head? Uh, I've never thought about doing this until I saw the kids singing Sweet Child of Mine in Step Brothers. I feel mm. like he deserves it. Mm -hmm. There are some terrible kids in movies that we would like to slap on the back of the head. What do you guys think? Um, you know, it's funny. I had to think about this for a really long time, which is weird because I, I tend to not like kids in movies a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean... Uh, I mean, there's you could you could argue that Kevin needs to get slapped across the head sometimes, you know, in, in uh, Home, Home Alone. Alone. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna go with the kid uh, in uh, Searching for Bobby Fisher. Josh Waits can beats at the end of the Searching for Bobby Fisher. There's a villain uh, playing chess in the early part of the uh, uh, movie where. Uh, this you know this villain kid with his stupid hair and he's a rich kid and all this other stuff is like because he he's he's i guess he's ranked number one and all that and he plays josh early on and he does this stuff like where he where he gets it almost to checkmate and he's like trick or treat <laughs> and uh and of course you know we don't need to see him get hit in the back of the head because josh ends up beating him at the end yeah and even sends that back to him trick or treat there's even even tells that kid we can i can take a draw right now if you want otherwise i'm just going to beat you in, in x amount of moves and the guy's like look at the board <laughs> I had you don't have a chance, blah blah blah, and he's like, okay, and then like within twenty, you know, whatever twenty moves, he beats him at the end, and then by the end, he's trick or treat, you know. Uh, but yeah, that kid could uh, could get a uh, could get uh, hit across the head, and that'd be fine. <laughs> Man, I wish I was good at chess. It's like, well, yeah, I wish I was a better singer than I am. I could have been a singer. That would have been fun. Mm. I wish I was good at chess. Mm. I wish I was one of those guys who was pretty confident every time I sat down at a chessboard, I was going to win. That would be a nice I'm feeling. I'm not that it? guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't even sit down to a game of Yahtzee and be confident about anything. I mean, the the thought process, I mean, to to get really good at chess, I mean, is... is uh, you have to be so many moves ahead. Yeah, and and that's one sort of the speculation, even though I don't, I don't think this is entirely true, but this is sort of the speculation as to this is what happened to Bobby Fischer, is that he... You know, he could play chess with the like all this like millions of moves in his head and everything that it just fucked him up after a while yeah, and everything. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of door opened from having that kind of knowledge. Well, of and if board. the movie's right that his father was pushing him as hard as he was, mm -hmm. then you know that probably is a little scarring too. Yeah, for sure. Ah, uh, Sid from Toy Story. I'm gonna smack that right? little motherfucker yeah, across no the face. There's nothing redeemable about him mm -mm. whatsoever. Now there doesn't need to be. 
And the movie does sort of, I guess, try and explain well, he's a terrible kid because dad drinks so much he falls asleep in the chair mm. watching TV. Right. Yeah. And mom doesn't pay any attention. I don't know. His sister doesn't seem that bad. Yeah. <laughs> Why is Sid the, like, he basically is demon spawned living in this house. He's a super villain waiting to grow up. And, you know, just for the, just for the, just for destroying the property that somebody paid hard money for. Well, fucking bastard. Yeah, he mm-hmm. is an asshole. He's the kind of guy that would loot during a crisis. Mm-hmm. Just so he could steal something to blow the head off of it with a firecracker. <laughs> anyway, Sid, I'm punching him in the face, slapping him, whatever we're doing here. It's mm-hmm. happening. It him. helps that he's animated. Yes, and he it, can, you can feel good about Yeah, I don't have fix. any issues at all. <laughs> I almost went with Tommy Tomasino from The Sixth Sense. Oh, my God. Yeah, right? He definitely deserves a good... good- yeah. Wrap but around the head. It's there. not the kid's fault. He's told to play him that way, but yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, my initial answer was going to be all of the kids from Home Alone mm. uh, uh. because they're all awful. In fact, we had a mm. scene in Home Alone too where it was like, because Kevin does this dickish behavior. He's like, he talks back to his uncle, who's also an asshole. Mm-hmm. And then he's threatened by his dad. Fuller's about to piss all over him. All the other kids are just like calling him names and everything. Everybody in that movie is a fucking dick. Mm-hmm. Like there's one sister that I don't even remember her name that kind of cares that Kevin's gone. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Yep. And everybody else is an asshole. But I'm going to really land my pick on the kids from Scent of a Woman. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit older, so I feel better about punching them in the face. Nicholas Stadler and Philip Seymour Hoffman in that, that are trying to blame everything on Charlie. Uh, they're basically like trying to manipulate him. They're, he's taking the fall for it and everything for this ridiculous prank. I don't even remember what the prank was, but it gets them so much in trouble that they can basically just say uh, it was Chris O'Donnell's fault and we get away scot-free. Mm-hmm. And Nicholas Stadler in particular, he's the guy with the like the butt cut and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he he just adds, he's punchable. He's punchable. Yeah. <laughs> what about the O'Doyles from the Adam Sandler movie? Oh, They're pretty punchable definitely. too. O'Doyle rules. Of course, they go off a cliff by yeah. the end of it. So <laughs> almost all of these these characters do get a come up of some sort. <laughs> yeah. By the way, tangentially related, uh, the the guy in the wheelchair in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one. Mm-hmm. I want to punch that guy. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no, watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, sometime, and you'll and and like you, it's one of those things. Like, okay, we understand. We got to you know uh, treat that guy carefully and everything. But he is the most annoying <laughs> motherfucker I have ever had to deal with in a movie. He's just like always complaining and always saying his sister's name and like blah blah. blah. It's like, you know, all right, you know, punch that guy. All right, let's do two more, uh, both of which I really like here. Um, The first one is also a kid's question, and we'll do kind of the other side of it. Um, uh, What is your favorite movie that features a group of children as the main protagonists? Uh, This person would have to go with Stand By Me. He also remembers liking a a little movie called Mean Creek, which came out about a Mm -hmm. decade ago. I don't remember that one. Yeah, I think I saw this, but I don't remember much about it. But Stand By Me is a classic. Yeah. That's a good. And, you know, Stand By Me is probably the best. I don't think there's anything better than that. Stop stealing the best answer in your question. (laughs) Um, I mean, even if they, I mean, if they don't steal it, then one of us will steal it and we'll have to come up with some other. (laughs) But, um, but, uh, I don't know a very, I mean, after uh, you guys have written your answers in advance, and of course I've looked at those answers and so on and so forth, so I'm not going to, you know, take those. Those are also very good. 
So I'm left with stuff like Millions, which has got two huh. kids as the as oh, the lead, yeah. and those are that those are those kids were really good. I would also probably go with Explorers. Mm. Oh, nice, yeah. yeah so those, those Explorers, you get a lot of that good stuff in the '80s, man. Yeah, yeah. Kid, like that's that's what they've been going for with Stranger Things and it. Yeah. and everything they've it seems like it'd be a very 80s thing to have good groups of kids uh in a in an adventure store and everything so yeah yeah go. well and i i was gonna throw out goonies i think that's probably one of the best cast of kids mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. i still think stand by me is a better movie yeah um but they really gelled well on that and then super eight which is another yeah. movie that's trying to sort of bring back that spielberg 80s nostalgia feel i thought all the kids in super eight were pretty great too yeah mm-hmm. uh, and i think i only know one of their names and that's the fanning girl yeah l fanning is is probably yeah the best. who else was who was the main protagonist yeah the, the other guy i don't think they've become yeah big l fanning definitely has. was spielberg involved at all in that movie because it was abrams yeah okay. it's an amblin i think amblin's name is on it somewhere yeah, i mean a, it feels he, so spielbergian though You'd almost have to get his blessing, <laughs> even if you weren't like paying him to produce it. I remember when yeah. that trailer came out, so many people thought it was the Cloverfield sequel. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. It's got like a monster. Yeah, there's a there because yeah, there's and uh, it was uh, I guess it was the train sequence is what yeah, they yeah. showed, and uh, and so a lot of people thought this was the sequel to Cloverfield. And yeah. then that and would then, come later. Yeah, yeah. In another movie. In, a, that, in another movie that wasn't meant to be a close has left mo- yep. less monsters than Super 8 does. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're going to make another one. Yep. All right. Uh, speaking of Stand By Me, I think Stephen King has this ability to write kids really, really well. He actually wrote Jake Chambers, the, the kid in Dark Tower, plays a really significant role in the book series mm-hmm. and is really, really good. Uh, I loved, the more I think about it, uh, from this year, the more I like it, man. That cast is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the girl, uh, the other kids that are in there work perfectly together. Um, it's almost like watching a standalone um, episode of Stranger Things, mm-hmm. which is also based on something like it. So there's a lot of, as you said, kind of synchronicity going around this this 80s nostalgia. Mm-hmm. But man, it is such a fucking good movie. I can't watch it. wait to watch it again. I can't wait to watch it for the first time. <laughs> it comes out on January 9th on Blu-ray. That's Excellent. Right. <laughs> okay, last one. And I love this. I, I could do these questions like every week. What's a lesser known quote from a great movie that you love? For example, I love the line in The Incredibles when Wallace Shawn's character is talking to Bob in the office and he says the line, can I do a Wallace Shawn? Let me try it. They're penetrating the bureaucracy. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. <laughs> Not bad. Um, I don't know why I laugh, but I laugh every time. What do you guys think? Um, well, you know, the Hudsucker Proxy is not a well-known movie. It has a lot of great lines in it, but um, the my my favorite part of it is when Jennifer Jason Lee is talking to Tim Robbins, and uh, and she's talking about how the hula hoop has like inspired people blah 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 and then she goes she goes uh finally there could be a, a thingamajig that brought everybody together uh, even though it separated them spatially or something like that <laughs> even if it kept them apart spatially <laughs> i love that movie so yeah me too it's uh it's got a lot of those great lines in it and i don't man again I, i'll say it again i don't know why hudsucker proxy is considered not good by a lot of people i don't know it's, I don't think people have given it a chance. So well written, and uh, and I guess there's some people who think Jennifer Jason Lee's like over the too over the top in that or whatever. But I think she's perfect, she's perfect for what what they're trying to go for and everything. And I even even without 
knowing what they're trying to go for. Yeah. I love her in that. And she has that best line, I believe. Um, I got two for you. Um, one is in The Untouchables. And there are a lot of great lines in The Untouchables. Like, he's in the car. Or, <laughs> did he sound anything like that? There's all these great lines. But one that always makes me chuckle is in the beginning when Connery first meets Costner. He's comes up to him on the bridge and Connor's just a beat cop and he's wanting to make sure Costner's character's you know, not up to no good and Costner tells him well, I'm a treasury officer and so Connery's like okay turns to leave and, and Costner's kind of mad about bad police work that's uh-huh. why he's even in this town and he's like well you're just gonna take my word for it oh I said I was a treasury officer but how do you know and he goes who would Connery goes who would claim to be that who was not <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and there's a lot of fun made throughout the movie at the fact that he's not perceived as a cop like the way that other cops perceive themselves anyway and the other one is actually from the incredibles like this person um and again a lot of great lines but when uh when he comes out after saving uh his wife and mirage helps him and she's mad at him he's like you keep trying to pick a fight but i'm just happy you're still alive (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like the perfect way to diffuse her anger for the audience it's just to remind them, well, he's been thinking she's been dead this whole time. It's not like he's been have, living a picnic either. So, anyway, I've got two as well. And one of them is a movie that features Craig T. Nelson. Whoa! Yeah, all right. Uh, so, I talk a lot about The Devil's Advocate, mm-hmm. but there's so many great lines in there. And one of my favorites, not in the big soliloquies that Al Pacino gives, it's where uh, Kevin, when Keanu and... Um, and the other guys are brought up to uh, John Milton's office. And Keanu looks around. And he's like, is this it? And they're like, yeah, it's just this room. And he's like, in the bedroom? And he's like, no bedroom. He's like, well, where does he sleep? They say, who, sa- who says he sleeps? And he's like, where does he fuck? <laughs> and Pacino comes in. He's like, everywhere. <laughs> oh, it's fucking great. And then the other one. I love the parts in American Psycho where he's just like waxing philosophical about albums. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he says stuff like uh, about Huey Lewis and the news when he's about to kill Jared Leto. And he's like, you know, this is this is I wasn't on board with uh, with Huey, but now he becomes, you know, more artistically biting or something like that. But then there's a great when he's talking about Phil Collins and he's got the two prostitutes in there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and Phil Collins, uh, Phil Collins in Too Deep is the most moving pop song of the 1980s about monogamy and commitment. The song is extremely uplifting. Their lyrics are positive and affirmative as anything I've heard in rock. Christy, please get down on your knees so Sabrina can see your asshole. <laughs> Phil Collins' solo career seems to be more commercial and therefore more satisfying in a narrow way. <laughs> oh, my God. So good. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I love how he slips those things in there. Yeah. yeah. The uh, the there was another one I didn't I didn't uh, pick it because it because the line the one line itself is not the line it's the sequence that happens and it's in a Clockwork Orange it always makes me laugh when they when Alex goes to jail and the warden is like are you now or have you ever been homosexual and then and immediately Alex is like no sir and the guy's like right it's <laughs> 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 uh, something about when uh, i guess british people have this right as a, yeah. as their as their okay or whatever yeah. and you hear it in monty python yeah, and yeah. all that but there's something just really funny about it <laughs> like it's like are you now or have you ever been homosexual no sir right <laughs> <laughs> like- 
All right, that'll do it for this week. Uh, please keep going to Facebook's uh, Sincast, uh, presented by Cinema Sins, and giving us feedback there. SoundCloud, Reddit, Twitter, yeah, email, you can find us, baby. Million different places to go find us and uh, comment about what you just heard. Tell and- your friends too. There was literally s- still somebody on Twitter this week that said you have a podcast oh yeah every time i talk about it i get a response like that it's just the math of how twitter works mm-hmm. the average user just doesn't see most of what you post because there's too much noise mm-hmm. but yeah there's still people out there that don't know we have t-shirts yeah mm-hmm. get a t-shirt listen to this episode in your t-shirt oh, that's right and nothing else mm-hmm. wait this just got weird <laughs> well that's the cool thing about facebook i've seen a couple of pictures where people are wearing cinemas and shirts in their profile picture oh yeah awesome nice awesome uh that is pretty cool uh but uh yeah just keep going there and giving us your thoughts on uh on this episode and maybe others as well but uh that'll do it for this week it's chris atkinson jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com I'm going to cut that. <laughs> it's a, it's what's uh, covered in that movie, Akiru, the Akira Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about government bureaucracy. So it's like it starts off with all these women complaining about something. And they're like, you have to go to this department. And they go to that department. And they're like, this is not our department. It's this department. <laughs> and they go, finally, they get turned all the way back to the original department that they were they went to. Um, or it's like that Home Alone scene where she calls the, the police department. And they're like, oh, no, you need child services. And knocks on the door. is like, Marge, child services freak out on two yeah <laughs> freak out isn't there two. remember that scene in jupiter ascending where they do like five minutes of hilarious harry potter bureaucracy about her citizenship yeah isn't there like a whole yeah. madcap little thing yeah. like that anyway man i forgot a lot about jupiter ascending that's fine i think that's justified the only thing i remember really is eddie redmayne and the ridiculous accent you don't remember uh channing's blonde hair or the bees he he has the, the dogs wolf with bees fears, in their right? mouths when they sh- bark oh, yeah. at you. They shoot bees at you. Uh, yeah, he's like the wolf dude, wolf wolf face, and she's like the queen of bees. Have they done anything since then, the Wachowskis? Besides the Sense Eight thing, I don't think so. Oh, you mean no movies? No, just, I even forgot that was the Wachowskis. Yeah. Um, and Sense Eight was basically canceled. Did you ever watch it? No, I read decent things about it, but it also sounded like one of those shows that it's either up your alley or it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like somewhere in the middle of my check it out one day list. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff ahead of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard it was not good. And then I did see, though, it had a cult following. Yeah. Um. So. I hope so, man. I want them to make good stuff. I do too. But... Bound is so fucking good. Matrix is so good. I don't know and what then... happened. Something happened. I don't know what it Speed was. Speed Racer has its fans. Yeah. You know what I hate? I hate when a show like gets really good like three seasons in. Yeah. And somebody's like, okay, now you got to go for the first two seasons to understand what happens in the third season. And the first two seasons are just okay. <laughs> but the third season is some of the best TV. Like I've heard this about Halt and Catch Fire. And I've heard this about um, the one with 
Justin Thoreau. Oh, the leftovers. The leftovers. Yeah. And I'm like, I shouldn't, I don't want to sit through two years of bad just to see a third season that was brilliant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to watch you find your footing because there are shows out there like The Wire and Breaking Bad that are great from the start. Yeah. I think that was the same thing for The Killing. Like, The Killing yeah, yeah. kept going. Yeah. And, like, everybody thought because it was so disappointing in the first season. I watched some of the first season. But then, like, yeah, I think it was season three. It kept getting renewed, and season three apparently is amazing. Like, yeah. I don't fuck. I don't yeah, care. I'm not going to sit through all that shit. It was the reverse with Lost. Lost was great on... Lost's premiere is one of the best premieres of any show ever, I think. It just, it's not the show... <laughs> it doesn't go on to be the show that we were promised in the premiere. No, it... Yeah, but it also, like, peaks... I guess it was season three that it peaked. I would say so. Is that where they... Well, and that was a flash. That's before the writer strike, right? and then four, five, oh, and six yeah. were all the thirteen episode seasons where they were like, "We know where this is going. We know there's a there's a true ending, and we're gonna go for that." <laughs> and and you're like, gonna believe us. And it was like, "Wow, great, awesome!" Like you've told <laughs> us straight up before the three seasons before it's over, it's got a plan, and it did have a plan. It just wasn't a very good plan. A plan to fuck with us. I was all right with it. I I was actually all right with it all the way up until the finale. I think. Oh my god. Maybe the the penultimate episode. They, they get a little mired in the mythos of the island. Yeah, like a little too much. Well, especially when a, the plan is to tell you nothing about that. There's yeah. a there was a guy on Cracked who was a big lost apologist, and every once in a while you run into one of his articles uh, where he talks about it, and he basically about seventy five to eighty percent of all explanations are island magic. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and and um. That's really disappointing considering when you think about the, you know, the, the things that really make you keep watching the show is like when locks down in that, uh, that dark room and the light comes on, you can see that map with the question mark oh, on yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. And it's like, Oh wow, there's all sorts of cool stuff going on here. And then, you know, the explanation for that isn't very really, I mean, it's, it's nah. Dharma, mm-hmm. <laughs> Dharma initiative. And it's like, Oh, Oh, so there was another, there was a, there's a company here that was doing experiments. Oh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and they did this whole thing, too, when the that first season came on. It was like um, they would give you all these sort of Easter eggs or like books to read. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, of course, yeah, it was that was the last show that I actually looked at, you know, fan theories and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It was, yeah. la- it was the last show that I did. It. Yeah. First and last. Yeah. I mean, it was excellent at that, mm-hmm. at least for a solid three seasons. That, mm-hmm. that we have to go back. Kate moment is still probably one of the most jaw-dropping moments in television history mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was it was just so carefully staged that episode oh, was just brilliant that and the walkabout they had so many great reveals and the way they used flashbacks to set you up for flash forwards yeah. it's, it's that show has so many elements of brilliance it just mm-hmm. it falls apart at the end and it's disappointing well and they also they also seem to have read the fan theories themselves, the writers. Yeah, yeah. kind of seems like it. And sort of like, well, we gotta we gotta keep on dodging them. Yeah. And so like they told us forever that it wasn't going to be purgatory, and then and then like so then people started coming up with like you know alternative theories that sounded awesome. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we can't do anything that somebody came up with. Yeah. Let's go back to purgatory. Let's go back to purgatory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you ask me how I wished that show would go, I mean, 
I don't know. I don't either. I don't know where it would have gone. Like that would have been satisfying. I wasn't the one who was in the writer's room trying to come up with the explanations for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that towards the end of the series, they started explaining things off in a little bit too glib of a manner for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the Hurley going, they're going through that, you know, the where the the forest full of voices and everything. So I, that's all the people who died here, right? And then, oh, yeah, that's what it was. Okay, and they moved on. <laughs> yeah. That was a mystery that, like, had people talking for years. Right. <laughs> oh, by the way, that's the people who all died. Okay, let's go on. Let's move. Um, that was pretty pretty brief. And uh, and so then, yeah, like, when they they start explaining a lot of these things with, you know, it's, well, it's island magic and, yeah, you know, whatever. It's like, well, okay. I mean, yeah, we were we were set up for a supernatural type of thing island magic makes sense but it's also very unsatisfying mm-hmm. well and everything jacquino did for that show is amazing yeah. mm-hmm. he had like a different theme for every character and uh, did he really yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's good shit Ooh, i wish yeah. i was paying more attention that that, w- that one little thing that i always love that that one that he always would do is that do 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 yeah do, 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 do. it always ended in something amazing like when that music was playing <laughs> like you know the whole the whole thing where like you know i think there's that the one episode where there's somebody who's died and you don't know which one it is that's died and i believe it's a season finale too because is that it's 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 uh i know i can't remember who it was. was it it was kate and jack maybe who were who were looking over the coffin and then that music comes in uh-huh. do, 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 and then the camera moves over and you see that it's lock in the car right yes and, and it's like uh those <laughs> that that little that little musical interlude that he put in was always good and then of course you have all those other little nice little yeah you know, you know. i just like that piano anyway yeah I that's love it. I he's music, good music was the best part of that show many times yeah mm-hmm. that and all the shark attacks mm-hmm. yeah and, and then kate uh you know stripping down in the pilot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there you right. go yeah. You just said that. All right. I mean, that sold. That kind of sold the show. It was like the eye opening, the plane crash footage, and then her stripping down to her skivvies, mm-hmm. all within like the first. I don't even remember minutes. that. Really? No, I'm just trying to play the not. <laughs> well, I mean, it was like guy. they they've been they've been crashed for like an hour, and she immediately needs to bathe. <laughs> <laughs> so dirty my <laughs> god you know this is definitely the the most pressing issue right now yes is it to, is to get all that shit that's right anyway you want to you want to do a podcast we should do a podcast well i'm confused as to what we've been doing for the last 10 minutes mm. i thought lost was the main topic today mm-hmm. dude i can you know get what it's lost. been it's been 10 years let's talk about Lost. yes <laughs> <laughs> while we're at it let's discuss that sopranos finale <laughs>